It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thanks for joining us. We will finally tackle the issue that you've all been waiting for today. What will Donald Trump mean for the broader world of M&A? I'm joined by Bloomberg Gadfly columnist Tara LaChapelle, who can speak to the general question, and Max Neeson, who can specifically answer what a Trump administration may mean for healthcare care M&A, which obviously, with Trump's public desire to replace and repeal at least a part of Obamacare, will be a big issue in 2017. So Tara and Max, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right, Tara, let's begin with you. Um, Donald Trump seemingly brings a bunch of I don't know. That's what I would say. <laughs> a whole bunch of I don't know to the M&A party. So, you know, typically a lot of uncertainty isn't good for deal volume. So why are markets soaring? It sort of feels like Pax Romana right now. Is this fleeting? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to re- read the tea leaves in this in this case, because obviously, like you said, we don't really know what Trump means for just about anything. But I think there's sort of two things that we should keep in mind. Right now, with the markets up, obviously, that's a sign that CEOs uh, must be feeling good um, if they're looking at their stock prices and they're seeing that they're rising. Um, I think that this sort of pro-business mentality, whether it is real or not, um, I think that has people feeling pretty confident, which is a good driver for M&A. On the flip side, there's also been some comments saying, you know, if if Trump is pro-business and if Trump is good for corporate America, does that mean that they don't necessarily need to go out and do as many of these big deals that like they've been doing? I mean, maybe they'll have a, a way to grow internally. I don't know if I really buy that idea. I mean, I think that uh, in a few months from now, I think that's when we'll get more clarification about what it's going to mean one way or the other. But right now, obviously, people are feeling pretty good, and that is a good thing for deals. So maybe this is for both of you. Um... Let's try to figure out all of the different ways that a Trump administration affects M&A, because for one, it's market general market performance. And then I can think of, you know, that's sort of associated with CEO confidence, which mm-hmm. is always very important for deals. But then there's also Trump's regulatory hires, uh, which I suppose is a big deal. Are, are his cabinet positions, does that affect M&A at all? I mean, I think the one that's going to be interesting is Jeff Sessions. I mean, we know that a Trump administration has blocked several big mergers. Um, The Pfizer deal was sort of unique because that was an inversion situation. But then look at something like Staples and Office Depot, something that a lot of people thought should go through. And you could imagine something like that having a much easier time under a Republican administration. Um, So I think that in that sense, the regulatory rules may be a little bit more lax under uh, Sessions and under Trump. 
um, maybe some of these you know big media and telecom deals will have a better chance now as we look ahead to who's going to be running um, you know antitrust and also the FCC. Sessions, of course, controlling DOJ. That right. Would be said, yeah. Yes. But uh, when it comes to healthcare, I mean, the, the two big mergers that everyone focuses on are the, the two big insurer mergers. And uh, if Sessions is more friendly in uh, for antitrust, uh, they might be a little bit too late for those two deals. They, they pushed for fast trials. They wanted to get this over with quickly. Um, and that might kind of come to bite them because these are going to be, you know, it's up to the judge now. It's not going to have much to do with uh, a Trump DOJ. They might get a, a friendlier settlement. Um, which might mean, you know, might let the deal go through with, with fewer divestitures or, or tweaks to it. But You're um, talking about Aetna, Humana, and Anthem Cigna? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that'll be interesting to see what happens. But, but in terms of whether or not uh, those lawsuits by, by the current DOJ are successful, uh, Trump will have nothing to do with that. What, 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 is the, what does his, Trump's plan for Obamacare mean for M&A? Um, I think uh, you can look at both drug makers and then over to insurers. For drug makers, uh, I, I don't think it's particularly good. I mean, it's so hard to tell what exactly is going to happen. Some flavor of repeal or replace. Don't know when the repeal is going to happen, what the replacement is going to be. Uh, it's really all kind of up in the air. But but what seems uh, pretty likely, given looking through a, a set of p- potential replacement plans, is that there are going to be fewer people with health insurance and that public benefits uh, like Medicaid and Medicare are probably going to be cut to one extent or another. That means uh, probably less people utilizing healthcare, less people paying for or getting drugs. That That's not going to be great. Um, and then when it comes to insurers, I think it might be pretty interesting. I think we already see saw kind of the first uh, post-Trump insurer merger when uh, um, WellCare bought a company that focused on Medicare Advantage. And so that that's a, a private a privately administered Medicare, a version of Medicare. And that's the kind of thing that they'll probably get a boost under Trump. So you might see more deals like that when you see uh, insurers that really benefited from Obamacare, Centene, Molina, trying to diversify away from those businesses that are most likely to suffer. So Max, you mentioned that the the two big insurance deals, uh, maybe we should talk about all of the really large outstanding deals here and what a Trump administration may mean for them. So the biggest one of the year was AT&T, Time Warner. Tara, obviously Trump was very outspoken about that deal during the campaign season. He he flat out said he would reject the deal. Right. Of course, Trump himself can't reject a right. deal. The president can't do that. Yes. There needs to be some sort of legal reason to reject a deal, unless the FCC gets involved, in which case they can do something called, uh, they have a provision uh, where a deal needs to um, have a, a demonstrable public benefit and they can kick the deal to sort of an administrative hearing which 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 oftentimes dooms a deal because it lasts for years and therefore the the buyer or the target just sort of decide to dissolve the deal. There is some question about whether or not AT&T Time Warner would even be uh, uh, sort of adjudicated by the FCC because Time Warner only owns this one broadcast license for a broadcast station. If, theoretically, if they were able to sell this one broadcast station, the FCC may not even get involved at all. Is there some 
do we know anything at this point about how a Trump administration may look at this deal? Look, I, I know that he's made comments about this and they've been, you know, he wants to block this deal. He's going to undo Comcast and NBC Universal. I don't totally buy that. I, I think that at that time when he was saying that, it wasn't entirely clear that he was actually going to win the election. And I think, you know, some of it was him talking his book. On the one hand, he, you know, obviously has made the media, mainstream media, his enemy. He calls CNN the Clinton News Network. They're owned by Time Warner. Then you've got Comcast owns um, Access Hollywood, which had that tape, and you know MSNBC. And MSNBC. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think a lot of it was that, and also you know people were speculating that if he didn't win, was he going to start a, a news network, a conservative news network, uh, to challenge Fox while it's weak, you know, without ales and stuff. So I mean, I think that that was kind of informing what he was saying at the time, and plus it just kind of you know fit his rhetoric, the anti-media rhetoric. I think in practice that this isn't going to be as big of, of a concern for them, and it's really hard to make the case that this is bad for. Cons- Consumers, I think, um, because it's it's not competitors consolidating, and we have a precedent: Comcast bought NBC Universal. So I think that makes it really hard to say AT and T can't do this. Right. So in other words, some so so Comcast buying NBC Universal that deal did go through, but there were a lot of conditions yes, on that deal. But they weren't as bad as people thought they were going to be. I remember at the time it was like you know we were really nervous what those conditions were going to be. Is it going to break the deal? And it ended up being manageable. And a big part of it was you need to be willing to sell this content to your competitors fairly, and and that just makes sense. Correct. So just just to to go into that a little bit deeper, the entire model. For a company like NBC Universal or Time Warner, is to distribute its content to as many willing payers as possible. Otherwise, you're just turning down money. Right. So you'd have to make some sort of economic justification that holding the content exclusively would boost sales for AT and T Wireless so much that it would negate the all the money that you're turning down by not selling it widely. And by most economic analysis. That, that I've seen, and, and I know companies use this for a reason why these vertical integrations should go through, the numbers just don't work. In other words, for, for business reasons, uh, it actually makes more sense to just sell to everybody than to right. keep it exclusive. Absolutely. Um, so I would imagine that that logic will come back into play here. And like you said, particularly if the FCC doesn't get involved, um, I could see this one going through uh, because the DOJ would have to make some sort of legal argument. There is no precedent for them to r- fall back on mm-hmm. to block a vertical integration. In fact, Time Warner was owned by the same company right, that owned Time right, Warner exactly. Cable. So we've already yeah. seen this company in a broader distribution company. Right. Um, so and, yeah. they bro- and they broke up on their own, not because the government ever told Absolutely. them to. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So really, I think it will be what will determine that one is, is if the FCC gets involved. Because if the FCC somehow gets involved, then, as I mentioned before, there's a public interest uh, clause that they have, which would mean that the deal can't just cause no harm. It would actually have to do something positive mm-hmm. for customers. That's where I'm not. That's where the Comcast Time Warner Cable deal fell apart, right? Because they couldn't justify what positive benefit this would have. Is there any positive benefit that's obvious for AT and T buying Time Warner? I mean, I don't know, but I think if you know if you worked for AT and T and you're forced to make the case, you know, if you're a customer and we're moving towards you know more mobile video, getting towards five G, you want to have more at your fingertips. And I guess arguably, if they own Time Warner, that gives better access to if you're a customer to be able to watch some of that stuff. I'm sure there's some sort of bundle they're going to do. Um, so in that sense, okay, yeah, if that's if that's a big interest of yours as a customer. Another big issue is tax repatriation. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. 
global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. Back with Tara LaChapelle and Max Neeson, Bloomberg Gadfly columnists. Um, Max, this this tax issue, uh, I think, will probably weigh in fairly significantly for healthcare companies. Uh, any read on what Trump's tax policy may mean for the broader world of healthcare M&A? Yeah, so I think uh, this one reads through most directly to, to drug makers. Uh, they tend to sell their products globally and accrue really big foreign cash reserves. So uh, if uh, Trump's tax policy makes it easier to repatriate cash, I think that that might be a, a big boost to, to healthcare M&A for uh, drug makers that, that need to buy up some more biotechs. I think you've got Amgen, Gilead, Allergan, and Celgene, and Pfizer, all with really big cash piles, a good portion of which they have uh, uh, parked overseas and have, haven't been using for deals. J&J, too, but they kind of jumped the gun by you know potentially blowing it all in one go uh, by spending $27 billion on Actelion. So, to, Tara, to get back to your point about how it's possible that some of Trump's policies may make the need for M&A uh, diminished. Mm -hmm. So Pfizer and Allergan, for instance, they tried to merge this past year. That deal didn't go forward because of uh, the the Treasury Department and the broader Obama administration sort of cracking down on these inversions. This was the idea here being that Pfizer would no longer be domiciled in the U.S. and therefore would be able to to domicile itself outside in Ireland, I believe was that deal, mm -hmm. and therefore have a lower tax basis. Now, that deal didn't happen anyways, but I suppose the idea for any of these inversions, even smaller ones, would be moot with uh, with a new Trump tax policy, right? Right. On the flip side, if you have a lot of cash overseas in your U.S. company and the dollar is is going up, and you know that gives you more firepower to do deals, also. So it's like it just depends. I think it's going to depend on each industry. Like there's some industries right now that have a clear need to buy things and to get into to other geographies because obviously the U.S. for certain industries just isn't growing. On the other hand, what are maybe, you talking about there specifically? Um, I think you know a lot of consumer companies like food. Uh, beverage. We're seeing a lot of that. I mean, there's just really no growth in that right now. Um, so I think those deals are going to continue no matter what. And if they have uh, more firepower in terms of their stock price being strong and in terms of their cash being worth more, that's going to drive deals. But there's other industries where maybe that does lessen the need. Maybe some of these big healthcare companies don't need to do these big inversions or won't even be allowed to, and maybe bring some of that money back to the U.S. and do something with it for shareholders. Yeah, so that, that definitely makes sense when it comes to drug makers. Uh, the U.S. is still by far the most appealing market, and maybe particularly so now that we got Trump instead of Clinton. Uh, you saw when he got elected, there was a, a bit of a rally in biotech uh, when they thought that there might be friendlier pricing uh, policies. Now, that that's in some question, but there was kind of a, a dearth of healthcare, of drug make, uh, pharmaceutical M&A over the past year because there was so much uncertainty. I think uh, now that that's passed to a certain degree, you might see more when you add the cash repatriation, the fact that all these companies still need to bolster their pipelines. And when you have when you didn't have those in, that inversion going away, Pfizer, Allegan, you have two companies that need growth and now have a bunch of cash sitting around that now need to do something else with it. So you'll see more of that. And I think also, I mean, don't forget this, the stocks that are up right now the most since the election are energy, industrials, utilities, like things like that. And we haven't seen a whole lot of M&A from those companies last few years. If this continues, maybe these companies um, will be emboldened to do more deals. And it kind of creates an interesting dynamic in, in the market because it's like, you know, the coastal elites, the Silicon Valley, and like all the, the tech, the services industry have been driving a lot of deals. And now maybe we'll see 
more of this like manufacturing rust right. belt sort of you know playing out in the stock market. Old fashioned U.S. Yeah, economy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that could get real interesting. Let's let's talk about China because China is one area where I think that. Uh, we actually may see some diminished M&A despite mm-hmm. all of the positivity we've just talked about in the last minute or so. Um, obvi- China itself, we reported very recently, Bloomberg reported, is going to shut down, more or less, deals above $10 billion uh, in the U.S. due to not only growth concerns in that country, but also very much an uncertain uh, uh, landscape in the United States with Trump being so outwardly um, – you know, cracking down on on China coming in and taking U.S. business. Uh, is is this fair to say that this isn't just sort of bloviation and rhetoric? It certainly seems like there's a domestic policy now from, from China's end yeah. where we will see at least a slowdown on the big deals. And I, and I think also, I mean, if you look back at the beginning of the year, a lot of these Chinese companies uh, couldn't get these deals done for other reasons. I mean, they really were inexperienced in buying some of the U.S. assets. They drove up the prices, but they really had a hard time getting these deals done and kind of walked away and no one really knew what was going on. So I think that sort of um, inexperience in this like cross-border deal making plays into it. But also, yes, I mean, I think obviously Trump's like trade outlook on trade and and globalization, it's it's just really going to hurt those kinds of deals. I know China has a big appetite for deals, so maybe they look elsewhere. Maybe there's some places in Europe that are a little friendlier to it. Um, But it seems like the big China to U.S. deals, I mean, probably not going to see those. And I think it speaks to sort of the broader issue, maybe more than just China, whether Trump is going to govern as kind of a doctrinaire down the line Republican or a populist, which is the kind of impulse you see with the China stuff. So that might read through to antitrust. It might read through to anything where, um, you know, where the you know, generic Republican policies, let business do what it wants. Uh, Trump might kind of surprise us and do something different. All right, so soon we're going to have a, a episode specifically dedicated to predictions um, with your fellow Bloomberg Gadfly columnist, Brooke Sutherland, who did this for 2016. So we're going to look at how her 2016 predictions did, and then Brooke will give some 2017 predictions on specific deals. But I want to ask you guys, too, are there particular deals that you guys are looking at, specific company names mm-hmm. uh, that didn't happen in 2016 that you think, given everything we just talked about, might actually be announced in 2017? Well, I, obviously T-Mobile. Um, you know, AT&T, Who's going to buy T-Mobile? Right. I mean, AT&T tried to, obviously was blocked by the government. I think now they're clearly in play once this uh, Spectrum auction is, is done and we go That was one of Brooks' year. 2016 predictions, by oh, the way. Interesting. Someone will buy T-Mobile. Yeah, but the I wireless think- Spectrum auction may be delayed that. Right, right. And I, I think they've really proven themselves. I mean, they're really taking customers from Verizon and AT&T, which has been incredible to see. Um, you've got Sprint clearly wanting to combine with them, but probably not in the best place financially to do so. You've got Comcast wanting to get into the wireless business. Um, but dishes, already has a, an agreement with Verizon to do right, so to some degree. I, I, think if, I think it's going to be go big or go home. I think they're going to want to buy T-Mobile. Um and also, I mean, Dish. What is Dish going to do? They've got the Spectrum. Obviously, they could be a buyer or seller. So I think there's a lot of partners for T-Mobile still. And if anything, it's increased the probability. I I think they're going to get bought next year. By the way, so I'm looking at T-Mobile stock here. There, a lot of people think T-Mobile is going to be acquired. So, <laughs> and the, and the business has done quite well. It has. So yeah. uh, you know, shares have are up forty percent this year, making making an acquisition more expensive if you're going to throw on a premium there. Sprint. Also in much better financial situation that they were, that stock's up 120% this year. Uh, I was just talking to a banker last year who said that 
the dynamic on this has been very unusual, where Sprint tried to buy T-Mobile a couple years ago and was told by the Obama administration sort of subtly or not so subtly, if you try this, you're not going to succeed. We're going to block this deal. We're not going to allow the number three and the number four largest wireless players to come together. Now, he said, maybe he said about a year ago, it sort of flipped. Sprint was struggling so much that it looked like T-Mobile would be the buyer if Mm -hmm. those two companies were, in fact, able to get together under a new, more flexible wireless administration. Now he says it's possible that both companies would want to do the buying. So how that deal is structured may be an interesting facet if, in fact, uh, they try to push it ahead in a Trump administration. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and T-Mobile is clearly the stronger player right now. I think also that interesting piece about, you know, going from four to three players, that's been sort of a, a big thing that I know a lot of traders have focused on whenever these deals are announced. I think that the idea is going to go away as we go into the Trump administration. I don't think it's going to be as stringent, like we can't take this industry from four to three. I think it's going to be much more on a case-by-case basis. Of course, if Comcast buys, you'd still have four players. Right. Sprint would remain, and Comcast would be sort of a new entrant. Same with Dish, for that matter. Max, is there a particular deal that's sort of on your radar? Yeah, there are a couple. One is that uh, Gilead, which has been the one big biotech that everyone's been watching for the past year, uh, their really massive hepatitis franchise, they sell something like $17 billion worth of it a year, is deteriorating rapidly, and they really have very little to nothing to follow it up. Everyone watched all year for something to happen. Uh, next year seems like really has to happen. And uh, biotech, compared to everything else, is still pretty depressed, still down almost 20% for the year. So still deals out there to be had. And then uh, which one of these two or both of the big health insurer mergers go through? Um, Anthem and Cigna has always seemed like the one that was more likely to break up just based on uh, kind of the national market the- uh, thesis that and they share more businesses. So whichever, if that gets broken up, that'll create a, sc- a scramble by both to kind of gain scale and uh, set themselves up for a post-Obamacare universe, so kind of set, you know, being uh, more in those markets that are likely to grow, like Medicare Advantage and, and the private market. I think there's one other company to keep an eye on, too. It's getting more and more interesting is Disney. Um, sort of thought of as an um, you know untouchable company, never going to be a seller. They're huge, like 160 billion. But now with ESPN really being a drag on their results, I, I've been speculating that they could spin that off, sell it, maybe even get rid of all of the media networks division. They also own ABC. And John Malone went on TV and CNBC a few weeks ago and said, "Well, if that were to happen, then maybe Apple and Disney merge." So I mean, could we see Disney in play at some point, and maybe for Verizon? Like, I think it could just go so many different ways. Like, it, it's just it's beyond what we imagined a year ago. It's it's all these different industries are getting together. I'll throw one more name out you uh, name out to you that um, just yesterday or two days ago maybe uh, made a statement that they did not want to be acquired by a bigger company. That's Netflix. One episode ago, if you go back and listen to John Chachis, who was on last week, media investment banker, he speculated that Netflix may actually be a buyer of a content company. uh, And I can certainly see the logic in that if they don't sell. Netflix now has a market cap of more than $52 billion. There are a lot of these smaller content companies out there. uh, And Netflix has invested a lot of money in original content. It would not surprise me if, in fact, he's right. And that Netflix does their first. Netflix has never done any M&A of any significance right. in its entire existence. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they actually did their first deal. Or what next if year. what if you know if Disney were to spin off ESPN, take that money, they could pay that big multiple for Netflix, and then you have your successor problem solved. Could Reed Hastings run Disney for Bob Iger? 
so many different things could happen. You should be an investment banker. <laughs> uh, so that these companies can listen to your ideas and then not do them. Um, that's what most investment bankers yeah. tell me happens. Yeah. Uh, Tara LaChapelle and Max Neeson of Bloomberg Gadfly. Thanks for joining us. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can hear all of our episodes on iTunes or on Bloomberg.com or the Bloomberg Terminal or really any podcast app you use. Please rate and review the show while you're on iTunes. Also, follow me at Twitter at Sherman4949. Max, where can people find you on Twitter? They can find me at Max Neeson, N-I-S-E-N. And Tara? My last name's too long, so it's Tara Lash, T-A-R-A-L-A-C-H. See you next week. Brought to you by Bank of America Merrill Lynch. Seeing what others have seen, but uncovering what others may not. Global research that helps you harness disruption. Voted top global research firm five years running. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.